Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. So, 460 bucks for Allure, um, as Brian put it in a follow-up text, that you got to rub like a baseball glove. You're going to put that over the fish, and you're going to just keep pummeling him till he eats it. Including one big-ass red snapper on what, from what I can tell, looks to be a dropper loop rig baited with green, glow-in-the-dark, bushy figurines. Anybody can put stupid music to fly-tying videos, and anybody can do that. Good morning, degenerate anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast located closest to the food court entrance right between Aeropostel and the Piercing Pagoda. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles <laughs> Nolte. <laughs> and uh, I think we're about to drop our second Kevin Smith movie reference yeah. in less than 10 episodes, yeah, which, uh, which really tells you all you need to know about this show. You dumb bastard. It's not a schooner. It's a sailboat. A schooner is a sailboat, stupid head. Ah, uh, man, I can almost smell the CK1 wafting from the Macy's, you know. We look we, <laughs> we all grow up though, right? And um, you know, nowadays it's it's not the smell of whippets that gets me feeling alive. It's the waft <laughs> of black rifle coffee brewing in a kitchen with a fridge on its last legs. That's now, you know, my problem, mm. not my parents' problem anymore. Yeah. That is such a sweet smell. And uh, mm. and by that I mean the coffee, not the burnout fan in Joe's fridge. <laughs> And it's one that we get to enjoy daily because Bent is presented by our good buds at Black Rifle Coffee Company. If you like quality coffee and you want to hear more of us, head over to blackriflecoffee.com slash meat eater and uh, maybe get adventurous. Give their extra dark roast murdered out, just like my truck, a shot. It wakes me up even when my kids start (laughs) screaming at 4 (laughs) a.m. I've actually got some murdered out, and I, I truly have been enjoying it. It's very dark, it's, very bold. But listen, whatever you purchase, be sure to enter the promo code Meat Eater to get twenty percent off your entire order. You know, we kicked this off with a mall rat reference. Kudos to us, and it got me thinking about all the time that I wasted 
wandering around malls and trying to hit on girls and <laughs> getting kicked out for skateboarding. And uh, it dawns on me that I've never seen a mall with a tackle shop in it. You're right. I just I'll I'll just add you got kicked out for skateboarding. I got kicked out once for stealing giant Easter eggs from the Easter Bunny <laughs> quadrant. You know, uh, it was after got, Easter, so I was like, nobody will care, but that's pretty good. I oddly enough, I also got kicked out of several more than one mall for not wearing shoes. It's a true story. Anyway. <laughs> oh my god, that's good. You're right though. You know, the mall was supposed to be the place to find everything you wanted in one convenient location, right? But thinking back on it, man, none of the 13 malls within a half hour of me growing <laughs> up had one. But dude, I will tell you what though, oddly, right? I once ended up at a mall in Brazil in the mm -hmm. city of Manaus, right in the heart of the Amazon. And it had one of the most badass tackle yeah, shops yeah, yeah, I've yeah, ever yeah, been yeah, to dude. in the mall. No, no, no. I, I've been there. Like I know exact I know the mall that you're talking about. I was I went to Manaus one time because I was also on uh, lucky enough to get taken on a trip there. And I, I went to that mall. It was like it's got to be the same mall. It's the one with all the guys with machine guns out in front of every yeah, entrance, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And there yeah, was that crazy. The like, there was a tackle <laughs> shop in there, and and I, of course, I went to it, and they had like some of the weirdest lures. Like I've never seen those lures anywhere else before or since. Oh, I dropped a few hundred bucks like it was nothing, and yeah. I actually I still have a bunch from today. I still fish them today, but you some of them, them are so cool that I, a, a few, a few that are kind of like not. I don't know. They're just like, basically, it's a spook, but because yeah. it has a different shape and I bought it in Brazil, it's cooler than all the other spooks I have. You know, it it's probably not more productive, but I do throw them with caution because I, I just can't re replace them. No. We're not, no, neither never. one of us are going back to the mall in Manaus anytime soon. But, dude, I got to ask you, I, I had no idea you'd been there. Yes. Um, did you happen to stop by the store in that mall that sold nothing but Michael Jackson memorabilia? <laughs> uh, God, it was a long time ago. I rem I, I'm sure I passed by it. I did not go in there. I remember seeing like the black light posters with Michael and like glitter uh -huh. or whatever. Yeah, and and I think <laughs> I think his monkey had a few posters. I, I remember seeing it, but I did not go in. Yeah, dude, I ran in. I went in twice. I went in twice, <laughs> and I ended up. I went with the Moonwalker pillow shams and the <laughs> Bubbles the Chimp bath salts. Oh, so you know, well, Bubbles, Bubbles, that was the name. I couldn't remember. Oh, well, yep. I'm, I'm sure that was money well spent. Um, it was. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting to the actual things we're supposed to talk about here. We don't actually have a tackle shop report for you guys this week, but we do have a fly shop report that comes to us from Joe's home state. That's right. And, you know, it's early October. Dry fly action is winding down quickly around here as those temps start to drop. But for anyone in North Jersey, Eastern PA, or the Catskills of New York, there are a few hatch options still kicking around. And uh, we thought, who better to fill you in than Sammy Gennardo from Gennardo and Sons Fly Shop, a New Jersey <laughs> staple right next door to Scacchetti and Sons Plumbing and DiMartale and Sons Florist up there in Franklin Lakes. Everybody, how you doing? This is Sammy Gennato from Gennato and Sons Fly Shop in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. I'm here with the fishing report. Lotsy is apparently headed up to the Catskills this weekend to fish the D. That's a good move. Streams in New Jersey ain't doing shit. Ken Lockwood Gorge, eh, fill it in, it's dead. So you've been asking me about the hatches up there. This is what I know right now. 
you're going to see some blue wing olives. Now, my buddy Richie was over in uh, the Dreamcatchers, Richie from Newark. He was fishing the Dreamcatchers, and he said he saw a big 20 eating size 24 BWO, sipping it just under the surface. Now, the important thing here is to remember that if you're going to be fishing the fish just under the surface, you're not going to see to eat. You may see a little dimple on the water, but could be a fly, might not. So you got to use the Jedi mind tricks to figure out if that fish just ate your fly. Slowly lift the rod and see what happens. The other option is that you yell, eat that, at the fish. Now, if you yell, eat that, the percentage that the fish ate your fly is going to be a little bit higher than if you don't. Isonicius. You're going to see a few of those in the rifts. Now, you're just going to blind cast a big ISO. Now, a good fly for that is tied by my buddy, Jerry Tombrowski from Weehawken. It's called Jerry's Rattler. Now, it's got a big wrapper hackle, bro. I mean, this thing floats like a cork. And you're going to put that over the fish, and you're going to just keep pummeling him till he eats it. Other than that, you got flying ants. Now, those are here one day, they're gone the next. My only prediction for you is if you get a dab of rain, a little bit of humidity in the air, and a, just a touch of wind, you might see them on the water. You see them on the water, they're going to be 18s to 24s, with fish keying in more on the 24s than the 18s. Tie them small, just a wrap of thread, a little puff for white CDC like the trout hunter, you're golden. Nymphing, you got to get it deep, real deep. You want like 10 split shot on that thing. Make sure your strike indicator is rigged and rocked and ready. And that's when you see that thing drops. Give them the lead, bro. Give them the f lead. All right, that's what I got for you. Hope you get into some 20s. If you run into any car trouble whatsoever, I want you to stop by. See my guy Troy, West Main Auto in Hancock. Bang up job. Have a good weekend. Giving them the lead. I yeah, man. Totally, I can totally relate to that, man. <laughs> I am, I'm the weirdo here out west who doesn't hate nymphing. I actually yeah. think it's kind of fun. I've, I'm good with it. I kind of do, but I mean, if you grew up on the East Coast and you were a trout fisherman, you had to learn how to nymph, right? Like hatches and rising fish were a luxury. Like it's not Montana, you know, like where a stimmy just magically calls them up 365. Not true. None of that and is yeah, true. Yes, it, I think it is. And if you weren't <laughs> catching trout here, you didn't change the fly, right? You just added more lead. Yeah. That's how we did it. Dredging. And, conti and continue yeah, and continue to do so. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and I will you have bought into the hype that all the Montana uh outfitters and guides want you to believe that it's dry fly fishing 365. It's not true. Don't believe them. But since we're on the subject of dredging, something I also am quite good at, let's dig up some dirt. And transition from that completely bogus fly shop to a, a very real one in Minnesota. I'm going to check in with its very real proprietor and former guide who's got yet another story that will make you question how humanity has survived as long as we have. This is Smooth Moves. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh, my God. Joining us today on Smooth Moves, I am very happy to have my dear friend, Mr. Robert Hawkins. Robert, how are you? Good, good. How are you guys? I I'm pretty I'm well. Good, yeah. man. We're good. And uh, you, you, you own uh, what might be my favorite fly shop on the planet, Bob Mitchell's Fly Shop in St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, in case anybody hears any weird background noise, you're doing this during open store hours. So there are people shopping for leaders and tippets and things in the background occasionally. Maybe some midges. 
That's what that's what a, a high quality, classy program we are. We actually take people away from their real jobs so that uh, they can help us out with ours. Yeah. They are just jamming their pockets full of midges while you're in the back office recording with us right now. That's so right. just write us a bill. We'll take care of it. But um, before the uh, the fly shop ownership thing happened for you, you spent a lot of time guiding in Montana and in Alaska. Did that for a lot of years. Yep. Um, so what, what what is our smooth move from you today? Where did this happen? What's going down? Hit us with it. So we were uh, getting out of the plane in the morning. Uh, we got up, hopped in the plane, uh, flew to the river, and uh, one of our, you know, our clients at our lodger always very extremely well off and always have the best gear. And uh, this is in Alaska, I take it. Yep, yep. yep. In Alaska, okay. we just landed at the top of Gibraltar Lake, and we we're going to blow up the rafts and float down for the day, and end up in Lake Iliamna. But so. You know, we park on the beach, and the plane kind of sits there and hangs out and waits for everybody to get their rafts blown up, and the, the clients are kind of assembling their rods. And this one particular client, you know, he had, he'd gotten all four fly rods. You know, he and his wife's, they each had two. They, you know, they brought backups, right? So they had two each just in case they broke one during the day. And uh, the plane is uh, backed into the beach. You know, it's not running or anything. And the, the client has all four rods in his hand, and he he does this, like, I'm pretending to cast movement. Like, you know, he does, like, this <laughs> back cast sort of movement, and all four rods clipped the tailing edge of the, oh. of the airplane wing. And all, f- oh. all, f- all four rods just went whoosh. <laughs> And uh, so he broke all four of his rods in in one fell swoop. That's amazing. So, yep. I mean, honestly, like yep. I, I've seen two rods broken in the course of a day before, maybe three, but four in yep. one false cast. Yep, in one just silly false cast. And he was one of those like kind of angry clients you know he's just always edgy and it, it I, I actually ended up having them in my raft that day and he was it was also him and his wife and they're like the bickery back and forth couple and so all all it was like one of my worst days on the river with those two and he he also that day he's the guy that will say hey mr guide can you pour me a glass of wine please mr. you don't have guide. a name no, no no i'm just miss mr guide yeah it was just a brutal day, but so, that's how it started. So what did he have to do? Use like the stuff that you guys had as backup, or like yeah, did that, yeah. Which we always we always bring a couple rods too, just in case. And but it you know it that ruined his day instantly. No, no matter what we you know, we could have caught two hundred fish that day. His day was ruined instantly at the at the beginning. <laughs> and I think we did have a great day that day. But he, it was just all day. Well, you. This and blah, blah, blah. Isn't it fun to be right in the middle of a marital squabble like all day on the river? It just it just oh, makes you the, feel good about humanity. It's the worst. It's tough guiding married couples sometimes. <laughs> that right there, my friend, is why you always fill out the warranty card. Oh, though that was I, painful. I, I'd love to read some of the emails flyer rod companies get trying to cover smooth moves like that. You know, yeah. I went to cast a CDC merger in an open field and. Your rod broke in five places. It must be incredible they, no. to read some. They don't read those emails. Like that's why they have the <laughs> unconditional warranty. So they don't have to read the emails, right? Because they're like they know they they know just like we do that ninety percent of rods get broken in in car doors or when your dog steps on them. Like that's how it happens. <laughs> yep. 
that I think is why the unconditional warranty thing started was just to cut down on paperwork, truly. But uh, let's switch over from the river to the ocean for this week's installment of Fin Clips, where we teach you everything you need to know about a fish you probably never thought you wanted to know about in the first place. This week, Joe is going to clue us all in to a species that makes European taste buds frolic with delight and American anglers pout in whiny self-pity. Squalus acanthius was once the most abundant shark species on planet Earth. And for those of you not fluent in Latin genuses, that's the spiny dogfish. Now, if you wet a line for any kind of bottom fish from, oh, Greenland to Miami, strong chance that you've encountered a spiny. And there's also a strong chance you're rolling your eyes right now, wondering why I'm devoting any time to spur dogs when I could be using this time to give you tips for catching more fluke, flounder, snowy grouper, sea bass, porgies, or a shitload of other things you're usually trying to catch while you're catching spiny dogfish. Well, as Rage Against the Machine once said, know your enemy. Because while you Boston boys and Hatteras heavers might hate spinies, they are gold elsewhere in the world. Aside from pretty much the entire eastern seaboard, spinies ply inshore and offshore waters all across northern Europe, the southern tips of Africa and South America, and even southern Australia. Though, knowing my luck, even if I was on a dream trip to Fiji, I'd still manage to catch one. Right? Stateside, the average doggy measures anywhere from 12 to 30 inches, though specimens pushing 60 inches have been recorded. In England, where spiny dogfish are arguably the most popular as a food fish, they're labeled as hus in fish and chip shops. Historically, the Brits sold them as rock salmon until Big Ben or Parliament or whoever eventually came along and said, no, stop that. It's just too misleading. The French, on the other hand, could care less and still sell them as small salmon. The Italian stallions call them con bianco, which according to my translator Google just means white can. And the Germans seem to think it sells better as zippaling or sea eel instead of the more appropriate sea shark. But here in the States, eating spiny dogfish just can't seem to catch on among the masses. Tons of spinies are hauled up by trawlers throughout the Atlantic every year in search of more popular species, and those doggies are generally discarded as bycatch, even though organizations like the Cape Cod Commercial Fishermen's Alliance has sponsored initiatives to get sustainably caught doggies in Cape Cod restaurants and fish markets. Now, according to my inside source at Wikipedia, the UK-based International Union for Conservation of Nature, as well as Greenpeace, have added the spiny dogfish to their seafood red lists and claim global stocks have decreased significantly, even as much as 95% around Europe, because Euro McDonald's can't sell those McRock salmon and McSeal sandwiches fast enough. Funny thing is, those in the know, me being one of them, will confirm that if I gave you a piece of dogfish disguised in a crispy panko breading, you'd guess it was any number of more popular firm white meat salty bottom fish. But to be fair, the times I've had it, someone else caught it and cooked it for me. And every single time I enjoyed it with a little tartar sauce, I said to myself, these are really good. I should start keeping some of these. That attitude changes quickly, though, when you're burning boat fuel with a brain locked on stripers, freezing your nuts off in the winter for cod, or dreaming of doormat fluke, and every diamond jade clam strip and gulp teaser gets wolfed by a spiny the second you drop it down. And it almost makes it pretty hard to believe that the spiny dogfish are in any kind of trouble. And when you move 10 times and can't get away from them, you just hate them so much that you can't lower yourself to filling that sexy Yeti coffin box with the scourge of the sea, let alone post a picture of you holding one with a smile on Instagram. 
Especially when you consider that spiny dogfish get their name from two incredibly hard, thick needlepoint spines on their backs, both just forward of their two dorsal fins. And they're there for a reason, and that reason is to ruin your day. A dogfish will writhe and twist and swing its tail around and arch its back to make every effort to stick you good while you're trying to unhook one. Those spines are sharp enough to go through clothing, gloves. I've even seen them go through PVC rain gear. Bonus, those spines inject you with a mild venom that, while non-toxic, just seems to make a wound akin to getting stabbed with a splintering wooden kebab skewer hurt a lot f***ing more. When you are forced to unhook a doggy every 30 seconds, all day, suddenly you no longer want to eat one, you just want it off the goddamn boat. I don't know about everyone else, but I just got hungry for spiny dogfish, tater tots, and ranch dressing, which uh, here in Montana we call Montana mayonnaise or sometimes honky sauce because, uh, you know, the honkies, they love it. But fight that craving. Don't pause now to swing into the drive-thru at Euro McDonald's because we are about to pump your guts full of fish news. Fish news! That escalated quickly. So this is Fish News, where we uh, tell you all the fun, interesting fish and fishing-related things you need to know happening recently out there in the world. Uh, Reminder, this is a competition. Miles and I do not know what stories the other guys bring to the table. Uh, And as always, our uh, mighty audio engineer, Phil, at the end, will declare a victor, and I'm coming off a win. And I'm happy about that, because I was losing confidence in myself there for a little while. Don't get too comfortable in that chair. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you better call fives on that if you're if you're getting up. Not only did I win, he managed to work in uh, a Celine Dion and Sarah McLaughlin reference in yeah. his announcement of that win. So good. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, he's the real Phil. talent here. It's true. Being that, that is true. But uh, it always benefits to be the leadoff man. That is me this week, and I'm excited. Okay, I'm very excited. I love... Both of my stories, largely because both of them are kind of going to go off the rails a bit. I'm going to come from left field, <laughs> and it feels good. And we're allowed to do this because we make the rules, okay? We decide not only what is news, but which news stories are the most importantest that you need to hear. Um, and this first one, I'm just going to get right to it. Just, oh, just warm my heart. I love it so. From the Cape Cod Times. Headline, Obsessed Jaws Fan Replicates Chief Brody's Ride. I didn't even have to read anything more about the story to know that this man is my hero. Okay, so from the story, Gabe DiSaverio calls himself a Jaws nut. He's into anyone or anything that has any connection to the 1975 killer shark blockbuster movie Jaws. The obsession has infiltrated all facets of his life. Just like it has mine. I we yeah. are we are connected yeah. here. You guys are so fully says, simpatico. <laughs> it says Di Severio's vacations have been Jaws themed, his business and conservation efforts revolve around sharks, and his daughter's middle name is Ellen after the Jaws character police chief Martin Brody's wife. And then he's wow. quoted here saying, I'm pretty sure I can scientifically prove that it's the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> Gabe, I will help fund that research. I will chip in so we can finally settle what us Jaws freaks really know is already the truth. So a uh, little background. Gabe is the owner of the Spicy Shark Hot Sauce Company. Okay. And the story goes on and says, part of his Jaws fandom includes a 15-year search for a 1975 Chevy Blazer 
like the one Chief Brody drove in the movie. And while business lagged during COVID-19, the Portsmouth resident scoured the internet, saw one for auction, maybe in his price range, so he asked his wife, Jill, what she thought. And here's the quote from Gabe. She said, you work eight days a week, you've never bought yourself a toy, and you've been talking about this since our third date. <laughs> She's Dreams a keeper. do come true. She's a keeper, Gabe, my man. Good on you. Um, so Gabe finally found his new blazer in North Carolina, and after he got it home, he enlisted the help of some friends to cut off the hard top, paint the roll bar black, repaint the truck to perfectly match Brody's, and let me tell you, it's spot on. And I love this, right? He ordered Vanity Amity license plates and had custom Amity Police Department stickers from the Hampton <laughs> Sticker Cabana adhered to the side. And this is what Gabe says. There are two or three other replica Jaws blazers out there, but they don't have the right lettering, he said. You got to have the exact font. <laughs> Damn right you got to have the exact font. All right. All right. I was I was skeptical of this guy until right now. If he is like if he is a font <laughs> geek, I can hang out with him. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. The blazer is named Martin, of course, after Chief Martin Brody, but Gabe is quoted in the piece as saying, you can call him Marty. <laughs> well, good. He also considers the Jaws replica blazer a part of his family. He says, I have a daughter. This is my son. So listen, I reached out to Gabe and asked for more photos of Marty, and uh, you can see those on my Instagram page. That's at joe.sermelli138. And the next time I'm on the Cape, you will see photos of me driving this blazer, okay, assuming it's not a stick shift. So, uh, Gabe, <laughs> bravo. Bravo. Oh, man. That, that is the most Joe Cermelli fish news story that I have ever <laughs> heard in my life. And that's fine. If it, if it, if it earns me no. a loss, I don't care because that I, had to, I had, I couldn't not. No, you, you couldn't leave that one on the table. You had to take that. I, I couldn't agree and more. It, it's uh, so bad. It's so perfect. I mean, it is absolutely perfect. The yeah, truck is no, amazing. It's I amazing. think you might have found like a long lost brother that your parents didn't tell you about. Like you guys were separated at birth and, and now you're going to come back together. And that's just a heartwarming, a heartwarming tale for anyone. Everyone loves a story of families reunited. I've, I've done all the things. I've done the stupid Martha's Vineyard tour, like where all the things happen. And I remember when uh, Jaws the Revenge, which was terrible, came out. My parents took me to a Universal's like traveling museum thing where they had all these props and they had the shark from Jaws 4. And I saw nothing else in the entire exhibit. We just stayed <laughs> with the shark. So my dad was like, all right, come on, we got to go get dinner. We want to look at the Indiana Jones stuff. I was like, mm, no, just no. the shark. No, I'm here for the sharks. Well, it's always been somewhat ironic to me that the Jaws thing is is centered on the east coast of North America because oh, while there are white sharks there, that's not really the part of the world that's known for white sharks. It's true. You know, like, I'll give you that. You're even right. Even the California coast is known more for white sharks. But if you really want to talk about white sharks, you think about Australia. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. like that. that's where people really, really think about them. And, you know, it just so happens that this first story I'm coming with, uh, it comes from Australia, strangely okay. enough. And we know... For a fact, as of last week, we have at least one listener in Australia, so uh, mm -hmm. we're basically talking to him. Hopefully he's listening now. Yeah, hope, hope so hopefully still, we still hope we have lost him. him. He hasn't been eaten by a great white. All right, so quick question, <laughs> Joe. As a father of young kids, have you ever heard of Ushies? I've heard of many things, but not that. <laughs> or if I have heard of it, I just like blocked it out of my brain. I'm like, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what that is, yeah, but I don't think I don't so. We you've, you've seen them. I hadn't heard of them either, but you've seen them. They're there's these kind of squished down little plastic figurines uh, in the shape of popular cartoon characters. All right, okay. And apparently they're like the new Beanie Babies in that they are completely useless crap 
that people have been duped into collecting. And just like with other kids' collectibles, you know, for example, say Pogs, the common mm-hmm. ones are totally worthless and the rare ones are crazy valuable. Someone supposedly paid 15 grand for one of these lumps of molded plastic on eBay. All right. So I, I believe it though. I mean, it's, just, it's, yeah, it's, it's worth that right now, this very minute. So good on you. There's a exactly. lot of beanie babies out there that aren't worth <laughs> shit anymore. I may or may not know personally, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get too far <laughs> off here, but in researching this story, I found a headline that actually said, are Ushies the new Bitcoin? Anyway, uh, <laughs> Ushies are a point of contention in Australia where the store chain Woolworths just ran a second annual promotion giving them away to any customer who spends 30 bucks last year this giveaway led to grown-ass people rioting fighting and threatening each other over lifeless children's toys so it's like tickle me elmo (laughs) totally oh i remember yeah and while while some australians clearly love the little buggers others are pissed one woman Mm -hmm. wrote on the woolworth's facebook page quote they're terrible for the environment They often end up in landfill or as litter. Another customer wrote, quote, very saddened and disappointed to hear that Woolworths are bringing back the plastic ushies that cause so much destruction to our already struggling environment. And the issue, of course, is that these little plastic figurines may be beloved and valuable now, but they, like all their cute collectible predecessors, will soon be an afterthought. Uh Just fleeting cultural refuse destined for landfills where they will slowly break down and turn into more microplastic choking rivers, lakes, and oceans. Uh-huh. They'll be right there with all the LOL dolls that my kid has. Same thing, yeah, same premise. Same yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. But, but there's a bright side here. One industrious angler down under has actually found a viable use for these detestable wads of petroleum distillate. Mark oh, yeah. Pace of Queensland is using Ushies as snapper lures. Nice. Mark nice posted, repurpose on that. Yeah, yes. it's great, dude. You got to check this out. Mark posted uh, photos and video of himself on Facebook, reefing in snapper of various types and sizes, including one big ass red snapper on what, from what I could tell, looks to be a dropper loop rig baited with green glow in the dark, bushy figurines. <laughs> in the video on his post, we see Mark lifting a fish over the gunnel, turning to the camera and saying, No, she's mate. Pace's post just says, quote, anyone have any glow-in-the-dark ushies they don't want? Happy to pay a dollar each. (laughs) And I'm guessing Mark didn't really think this through, like, as a social media move, because if his goal was to get people to sell him their glow-in-the-dark ushies for cheap, then he probably shouldn't have let on that they're dynamite snapper lures. I mean, good luck getting anyone to give them away to you now, dude. Like, that was not the way to go about it. You should have just been like, hey, anybody have any ushies? Just, just wondering for a friend. So while, while, while you're talking, I, I just did a quick search because I, I didn't know what these were. But now I look at them, I'm like, oh, yes, they do. I stepped on five of them yesterday. Yeah. Um, I, th- this is wonderful that he's turned this into a lore. But for people wondering, like, well, does it have some natural innate, like, fishy, baity-looking something to it? No. Like, it's just no. a hard piece. It's, it's just no. a, a little molded piece of plastic in the shape of a figure. That's it. So There's was he catching, m- like, more on the Ushies than the other people on the... Like, is there, like, is there a real secret here? Or is it pure gimmick or what? I, I don't know. Like, what I've... what cut, Again, there's not a whole lot of information there. It, it doesn't seem like he's trying to blow it up. He just put up this post being like, hey, I'm looking for some Ushies. Found a use for them. 
Anybody want to give me their glow-in-the-dark ushies? I'm, I'm working on the snapper. But for their part, Woolworths is not excited about their trashy toys being put to good use, finally. Uh, a spokesperson for the company told Yahoo News, quote, while we don't encourage the use of ushies for fishing bait, they can be used in many other ways, from storytelling, taking care oh of them as God. special collector's items, or popping them on the back of pencils. And right now, I'm just calling BS on all of that. Ephemeral plastic toys, especially these fake collectible ones, are one of the foulest offshoots of consumer culture. So good on Mark for finding some kind of actual use for this disgusting flotsam. But he probably should have kept it to himself. That's all I'm going to say. Something I'm taking away from this, and, and I'd have to do some research to find out if it's the same thing. Um, I'm just blown away by this being Woolworths. Which makes me wonder, is that the same Woolworths that used to be all over the U.S. and is now yes. gone? Like where yeah, I used to shop Yeah, but they're still at? huge in Australia. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, that's one thing. Um, also, I mean, yeah, like you're going to get mad about this. Like people, if people <laughs> over here got mad about people using ridiculous toys and shit to catch fish, there'd be somebody ranting and raving every day of the week. McDonald's, Disney, like yeah. I, there was just something that popped up, some Nemo toy on YouTube. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, dudes catching peacock bass with that. But I mean, I don't know. I think it's pretty frugal. You also mentioned Pogs. I was like, since we started this podcast, I was like, who's going to be the first one to work in Pogs? And it was you. Nailed it. So good on that. And now I'm thinking like, I still got all them slammers somewhere. That, on the other hand, you could probably drill a nice hole through each end, right? Throw a little mm -hmm. split ring on there. Mm -hmm. Those would also make a great lore. Oh, so, yeah. Because I think Pogs are too old for the new YouTube generation to be making Pog lures because they don't know what that is. So I called it and... Uh, we're going we're gonna to have to make some pog lures. Uh, dude, my kids have these similar ushy things laying all over the place. There, there's not been one yet that I'm like, man, that would make a tremendous lure. So um, I, I, that's why I'm giving Mark credit. Like a lot of these things are obvious, right? Like, oh, yeah, the swimming Nemo, you made a lure. Cool. Yeah, these, exactly. Nothing about this looks fishy, but apparently he's doing well on it. So that's why I was impressed. I was like, this does not fit. I, I like this. Here's what drives me crazy, and and you have you have a son who's younger, so you might never have to deal with this. But see, I have a daughter who is five, so for all the dads of daughters out there, like a lot of this stuff, and I don't know if Ushi's the same thing. The whole fun for the kids is like the um, unwrapping, like LOLs come in a ball, and you, like you don't know which one you're gonna get, and it's like a big surprise egg, and like that is what you're paying for, and then she doesn't do shit with them after she opens them; they just no, it's, lay it's around. Gambling for five year olds. Exactly. So I am just going to, I'm going to have to like start if I, dude, I could take two dozen of them and she wouldn't even know. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today 
or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. We'll go from from repurposing toys and frugal lures um, to to this story. Great segue here, and this one's this one's a little outside of the box. This is uh, somewhere we haven't gone, at least in terms of source yet. So I got this as a hot tip off from a friend of mine, Brian Schmidt. Do you happen to know Brian Schmidt? You know who he is, Schmitty. That name I, honest, a bell? I'm, I mean, dude, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. So so Brian, for years, he was the guy in charge of fly development for Umqua. And now he's struck out on his own and he started Brian Schmidt Baits. And you should check out his stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know yeah. I know this dude. Yeah, he makes amazing baits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dad, the Schmitter bug and all that stuff. Totally. That's all that's all yeah. him, right? A, amazing dude. So um now now he's just Brian Schmidt Baits and he makes all kinds of cool swim baits and, and rats and jigs and spinner baits. Awesome stuff. Anyway, uh just last week he sent me a text and it said did you watch today's What's New at Tackle Warehouse video? Apparently, Tackle Warehouse does a news video every week of like new products. And uh, I know you bass guys especially know Tackle Warehouse, huge online retailer. So he says, did you see that video? And then follows it with, um, wow. All I can say is it puts the lotion in the basket. Ooh. So I'm like, all right. We're going to the lambs. Right? That's We're, creepy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right? So I watched... And one thing new last week was the manifold Denaro swim bait. Now it's jointed, right? And it's it's this is kind of like a new uh, lure release news piece, but it just it's just going to go haywire here. Thirteen and a half inches long and covered in leather. Now that leather has what I'd call sort of a snakeskin texture, but all around the edge it's hand stitched, right? Like the Buffalo Bill skin suit. Hence Brian's nod to lotion in the basket. <laughs> right. Okay? So, so here's some of the description of, of this new Manifold Denaro swim bait. Developed by the owner of Manifold Leather, who has over 34 years of experience in the fine leather industry in Japan, 
The Manifold De Niro Glidebait boasts superior craftsmanship and was created for targeting monster-sized bass. It features a hand-carved polyethylene body, which provides the foundation and allows the bait to swim with a perfectly balanced, wide, S-shaped gliding, blah, 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 because that's the description of every glidebait. Every right, glidebait yeah. is a wide S-shape. Okay, nothing We've new. We've heard all this before. We've, this is nothing new. Okay, so you, you haven't hooked us there. On the outside, the Manifold De Niro Glidebait is covered in hand-stitched, 100% horsehide leather. That's horse leather. Horse leather that does not get colder than traditional ABS plastic, which ensures the bait has the same body temperature and texture as a living bait fish for a more natural presentation. (laughs) And it says, as the leather progresses, the surface foil also becomes weathered and becomes more like a wounded uh, or weak bait fish. And there are two disclaimers uh, there. One is the manifold Denaro glide bait moves properly once the leather has absorbed water. And be sure to read the instructions included in each box for proper operating and storing procedures. So this company, Manifold, as I understand it, is best known for fine leather goods, but also kind of dabbles in lures because the same video also showcased the hard bait from them with, with no leather work. Okay. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm super curious about these instructions and I can't find the specifics, but the dude in the video noted that you need to let it soak for a bit to let the leather absorb water. Right. Because if it doesn't absorb the right amount of water, it can affect the buoyancy and action. Yeah. And like, I'm like, who first, who has time for that? I just want to cast the lore. <laughs> who has time to think that much? Okay. And then he says the instructions feature specific storage tips so you don't ruin the leather. Now, here's the thing. And I sent you a photo of this. In my opinion, I'm this looking lore at is it hide- right now. It's yeah. hideous. It's it's, it's, it's not, not at all. Part of the swim bait deal is like you're like, oh my god, that looks like a real brown trout. Whatever. It's it's not at all aesthetically pleasing. And in fact, I find it very bizarre looking. And clearly, you're buying the proposed benefits of the leather because to me, the like I said, the action doesn't sound any different from any other glide bait, right? So here's the kicker, though. Take a whack at the price. Go ahead. Oh, Take a I, whack at the it's price. It's got to be at least a $100 lure. $460. What? $460, I mean, nah. right? And that's just for the... There's another model that has some weird fancy metal face attachment that's $512. Okay, it's got like it's got like a lector mask. I, I actually think it's like to create... You can hang leads off it and like t- different time, but it looks like a yeah. freaking lector mask. So 460 bucks for a lure... Um, as Brian put it in a follow-up text, that you got to rub like a baseball glove. I mean, listen, dude, I have the utmost respect for the dedicated swim bait cult, right? I'm fascinated by the method. I wish I, I, oh, w- yeah. I, wish I had more dedication to, to fish that way. I love it. I love it. But like swim bait dudes, this is a joke, right? Like is, who, who is buying this? That's the who question. Who is buying this lore? And here's the thing, those, as you already pointed out, there, there are those very, very expensive swim baits, and they look a certain way. They look photorealistic. Yeah. They, they have that incredible movement to them, all, blah, blah, blah. This thing kind of looks like a high school arts and crafts project that someone's selling on Etsy. It's, I mean, you can see all the stitching. It, it, it's not poorly done. But it's it's not super impressive. Which, yeah, it's not poorly done. But you wouldn't know it's like fine leather work by no. you know it's it's I, I I I take it manifolds like Coach. So if like Coach made a lure and this was it, you you certainly wouldn't pick up on that level of craftsmanship just by looking. And with all lures, dude, come on, man, we we buy this shit with our eyes. You know it, yeah. and I know it. How many yeah. lures are sold because of their shelf appeal? Oh, yeah. And if you put this next to a twenty five dollars Spro swim bait, guess which one I'm buying? No even if question. I didn't know the price. No question. 
And so, I mean, yeah. here, here's the other thing that I thought of. Here's the, the other piece that I thought of. I was really surprised to hear you say it was horse leather because I happen to know just because I know weird shit like this that people tan fish skin. You right. can actually take fish skin sure. and you can tan it and sure. turn it into Make fish a wallet. leather. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So why wouldn't you use that on this product? Why wouldn't you use actual fish skin if you're going to go to this hand-stitching, hand-tanned level of craftsmanship why not use fishkin? That's that's where I'm a little bit lost. And maybe maybe fishkin doesn't hold up as well. Maybe it doesn't work. There are probably things I don't know. But that was the first thing that I thought of. I, and I feel like there's things I don't know because there's it's so new that even even tackle warehouse like there's not that much info about it. And I I tried to just Google up the lore. And I mean, you, you get linked to all these Japanese leather making sites. I couldn't find like a, a direct link. But I, I even partially understand you know, the desire for these hard to get Japanese swim baits and things. I see the same thing in the striper world. There's certain hand turned wooden lures that people just go nuts for. It doesn't really matter if they're fishing them or not. But I mean, at some point, this just goes beyond fishability. Like you're paying 500 bucks for a lure, a lure that requires as much care and attention as a fine leather couch. Like, why would you do that? It's supposed to be thrown around in a lake, like in weeds and mud and shit, you know? And I've seen some wacky stuff in swim baits. This is next level. And what I would love to hear, maybe we can get away in later, like from our friend Oliver and I, like a big yeah. bass catching swim yeah. bait, chucking amigo to weigh in and be like, yeah, I don't get it either. Or dude, maybe we're idiots. And it's like, no, here's you, you why this, this is next level. Yeah. And, and on that durability thing, man, like the, the thing that I'm currently interested in with swim baits is, is throwing them from musky. And I'm mm -hmm. just imagining what happens when a musky hits a, a leather lure. And I don't think it's pretty, especially one that I spent 400 and some odd dollars on but i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with that and and move into our our final segment which is a musky story okay and you'll also detect i i'm, I'm a little proud of myself this week because I, I definitely stuck with a theme that you're going to detect all right and, okay. and and i hope it comes through pretty clear so greg leonard sounds like my kind of guy he's a land conservation officer from augusta wisconsin who also happens to be a hardcore musky addict he calls the Chippewa flowage his home waters, and I have fished that flowage, and it's oh yeah, it's an incredible place. Big like, it chip, is a man. special, yeah. special place. Despite the fact that Greg spends as much free time as possible musky fishing and has been doing so for decades, he seems to suffer a similar fate or perhaps curse that uh, that you and I do, Joe, when it comes to big musky, because he just he can't seem to crack a really big fish. He's he's stuck at 45 inches, which for the record is a very big muskie, but not the fish that muskie junkies covet. You know, yeah. they all want the 50, right? For, for the record, I will say if I caught a 45 on fly, I'd be like, and I'm done. Don't have to yeah. do that. I'd be fine with that. Be enough yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> but last August, Greg did a good deed for the muskie gods that I hope will pay dividends for him this fall. I hope, I hope what he did like pays his karma forward and he gets his 50. Greg was fishing mid afternoon one day, late August when he hooked a, a mid-sized muskie you know, nothing special, fought it to the right. boat, put it in the net, hook pop free once fish in the net. And he's, he's just about to release it when he noticed something odd, a mud stained diving ring encircling the fish's midsection. Now, for those of you who don't know what a diving ring is, which includes me, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I'm about to explain yeah. it. They're, they're, they're <laughs> small hoops, like few inches in diameter, usually used for swimming lessons and lifeguard training. So diving rings are specially weighted so that when you throw them in the water, they sink, but then they sit upright on the bottom. Gotcha. So that divers can swim down and easily grab them. 
Gotcha, gotcha. And okay. Because they're because they're training tools, they're also made of like really heavy duty plastic so that they can withstand years of use in pools. All right. So Greg catches this musky and it has a diving ring stuck around its midsection. And the thing's been there a while because the fish has has like started to grow around the ring. And the ring is cutting pretty <laughs> deep into the fish's body. Yeah. And Greg tries to pull the ring off like you would, but like, I mean, it is really literally the fish is growing around it. It's it's not going anywhere. Right. So right. here's where the story gets weird to me. Then he used a bolt cutter, and even the bolt cutter couldn't cut through the thing. But I mean, quick side note, man, who carries a bolt cutter on their fishing boat? I do not. Every fisherman in New Jersey, but really. You know. <laughs> maybe i don't know i'm just like why why, why do you like, actually I, it takes I up a lot of room on your boat you, you know you, i will say not to get off on that but i do know people who carry bolt cutters more so in case like they need to cut the lock on their spare tire like if their trailer yeah. tire pops or something and they yeah. can't find the key you know stuff like that and and maybe like maybe there were side cutters and the story got it wrong. I'm not sure, but I'm picturing like a full on bolt cutter and, and and maybe it was misreported. I'm not sure. But anyway, if it was a bolt cutter, whatever it was, I'm glad that Greg had one because even though he couldn't cut completely through that ring, he did cut it enough that he could relieve the pressure on it and, and he was able to slide it off the fish and then set the fish free. Okay. And being a, a natural resource manager by trade, he showed the ring and the photos to one of his colleagues, a fisheries manager named Max Walter. And they came up with a theory about this. Their theory, here's, here's how their theory goes. Someone lost the diving ring in the lake and it just sat there upright, sitting on the bottom for God knows how long. Yeah. And, and that muskie is in the area chasing bait and the bait tries to use that ring to like get away from the predator and the muskie swims he, right yep. through it trying to get that yeah, right bait and get it. stuck. And they estimate that that fish carried that ring around for two years before Greg caught it and cut it loose, which is you know what, though? amazing. I, I, it is amazing. But there are similar stories out there. One that always sticks with me is I remember these, these pictures floating around of a striper that had metal arms from an umbrella trolling rig mm-hmm. coming out of its stomach. I mean, poking yep. through its stomach. Yep. So we tend to coddle fish as we should. I mean, be careful with release and everything, but then every once in a while you see one of these stories and it kind of makes you go, you know what? They're a lot more resilient than you think they are. They're tough. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's an anecdote, right? This is, it's a cool feel good story, but I got to end here because Greg had a final note, right? And, and he was explaining why he's now publicly sharing this story. And he says, plastic toys have no place in our lakes. And I agree with them, but I'd take it a step further and say that they, they have no place in our bodies of water unless, of course, you're using them as a fishing lure and you're bringing them back out. I want to, I want to qualify that. But I, like everyone else, I have tons of useless plastic crap at my house, so I'm not getting all high and mighty on this. But I do try and minimize the amount of plastic that I purchase. And it's really hard, especially when you know you have kids and they come home from every birthday party with a bag of useless plastic crap. But... Try to be mindful about what we buy. And moreover, I am definitely that guy who will pull the boat over to pick up trash, especially plastic. And, and I hope all of you out there listening will consider doing the same. I'm not saying like that's going to solve the microplastics problem or like I'm saving the world or, or you will either, but, but it's something we can all do. And I think that this theme of if you're going to throw plastics in the water, make sure it's tethered to a line 
to catch a fish. Otherwise, just don't do it. That, that's where I'm leaving for today with fish news. I think that's a great place. That was a great message. That was a great end. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on all that. It gives Phil a lot to debate because we've had, man, we've had quite a gamut of stories we this have. week. So we're going to find out from Phil who clenched this one. Um, and then uh, talking about being mindful, being, you know, being mindful of what you buy. Uh, we're going to go right to sale bin mm. right after we hear from Phil uh, for a deal that, boy, you just can't miss. Joe, give yourself more credit. You let off strong with that Jaws story, but I'm giving the win to Miles Nolte. <laughs> Miles, I appreciated your theme of throwing useless, harmful plastic trash into the water, but I have got to go. I'm going to go try to bring in some ducks with a Peter Venkman Funko Pop. F***ing ushies, mate. F***ing ushies, indeed. Well, why did you put the head in the paper if you don't know what I'm getting at? Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. We have been getting a steady stream of sale bin submissions from you guys, and we appreciate that deeply. And I got to say, congratulations to listener Tony Cordero, because you, my friend, scored honors as our first ever sale bin item from the fan base with an absolute gem posted on Facebook Marketplace in Cowichan Valley, British Columbia. All right. So up for grabs this week is a 16-foot Winnebodo <laughs> with a 25-horsepower Mercury two-stroke and trailer. Now, the official description reads, half trailer, half houseboat, 25-horsepower Merc two-stroke. If you're looking for a project, parentheses, needs work, and a good time. And a good time. This is for, and a good time. This is for you, $1,500 or best offer. And I can barely even describe this. It's so outlandish. I'll do my best here. So someone took like a 1960s or 70s model Winnebago, and we're talking about the smaller kind you'd pull behind your truck, not the all-in-one. Hold one. up, hold up. I think I, I hate to cut you off here, but it's not actually a Winnebago. Okay. It's what like is it? a Naka. I don't know what kind of trailer it is. It's just a cheap 70s pull behind trailer. But to call yeah, it a Winnebago. It's not an Airstream. It's not an Airstream. It's not, it's not an Airstream. No. But yeah. We're, I don't we're, know we're calling it a what it is. You can't even see what it is. He clearly makes it. it the, the photos don't tell you the make or model. But this thing is not, this is some kind of knockoff brand. I can tell you that much right yeah, now. Fair enough, because there was no brand jumping out at me. So I, and I don't know trailers. So I just went with Winnebago, but not, okay. But what, what they did here, uh, they added a back deck and then I guess somehow sealed up the bottom and turned it into a homemade <laughs> houseboat. But here's, here's the thing. It's still trailerable, right? So in other words, it's not like they chopped the bottom off the, the knockoff Winnie and then glued that into a boat hole. Like the tires and wheel wells and attached trailer tongue are all still fully intact. Totally there. All of it's there. So with the exception of the back deck and the, and the outboard, you'd never know it was a boat, right? And I suppose... Someone could could run with this concept and do this really, really well if they wanted to, if that was their calling in life. But this does not appear to have been done really, really well. 
I, I mean, you, I, I, I don't know, dude. I would not go out on the water on this vessel. I wouldn't go more than 20 feet offshore on this vessel. I can tell you that it's, right now. It's, it's, it's so <laughs> I think you have to, like, if you're looking at this, if you were looking at it from the front end, you would have no idea that it was anything exactly. but just a crappy old trailer. That's, yeah. that's what it looks like. And then you flip it around to the back, and there's this strange open deck on the back, which, you know, okay, that's a little weird on a trailer, but maybe you like to, maybe you like to party outside. That's cool. But then there's a mercury outboard hanging off the strand. Yeah. Like there's a transom that's been reinforced and a mercury outboard. I, I, I feel like this is so close to brilliance, right? <laughs> I do. Could no, go either way. Because someone's yeah. like, man, you know what? I would love to have my trailer that I could just put on the water. Like I love dragging around. I love doing, but I want a boat too. Why can't it be both? And my hat is off to the ingenuity there, but I am not sold on the engineering. That's yeah. That's where I'm not sold on this one. Right, right. And and again, it it, it just looks like a box trailer. Like there was no attempt at like a V hull or no. Chines. There's no hull. It, it, it would just be like a floating box on the water. But there are shots of it adrift. Yes. Okay. And with like a bunch of hippie kids on the roof. It looks like a spring break like, party boat. Yeah. Yeah. Raising hard ciders in the air. Yeah. Um. But as you pointed out, a few observations I had. In the photos, that sucker is very, very close to shore. Like, they're not in the <laughs> yeah. middle of Puget Sound <laughs> no. in that some bitch. Like, it's right near the ramp or, or whatever. Um, but now, if you, if you look at the interior shots of the cabin, though, yeah, there's some water damage in there, right? <laughs> Having yeah. grown up in a house with a basement that floods, I know moldy, buckling wood paneling when I see it. And there was water in that cabin. No, like no question. Having slept in old 70s trailers <laughs> more than once that had leaky roofs and like had had leaky roofs for a long time, that's what this looks like. Everything's peeling off the walls. There's definitely black mold hiding just under the surface of everything. <laughs> and there's nothing that has changed about this interior since it came off of the assembly line in 1972. Yeah. Down to the floral print. Yep, on the booth. On yep. the booth, and, and yes. I, see, I, I feel like we're thinking differently about this. Like, I almost feel like this was a joke, like a gimmick. Somebody slapped this together, and they dropped it on the water just to prove it floats and take a few funny photos, but you, you couldn't call it a serious sound craft. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Tony did make a good point in his email. He said, how could you possibly get a BUI if you're at home? It's a no. That is a sound sound. Uh, although I think that this has probably been settled case law when it comes to houseboats, but I don't know. I haven't dug into that one. Yeah, and fun follow up fact. Okay, I, I recently reclicked the link, and don't you know it's sold? Somebody slapped down the fifteen hundo and is now the proud owner of the Winnebago. I would honestly buy that person a six pack for their inaugural maiden voyage. If that person thing. is listening, please reach out to us because we'd love to know how progress is coming. We want to know. Uh, anyway, Tony, thank you for sending the Winnebago our way. And to the rest of you, please keep the sail bin submissions coming. Uh, see some fishing-related nonsense for sale online where you live. Fire those links to bent at the meateater.com. Sadly, though, uh, it is creeping in on that time of year when we're all forced to winterize our Winnebogos. But... Uh, <laughs> If your glass is half full, person, it's it's not all bad, you know. Oh, winterizing the Winnebago is such a pain in the ass. Uh, 
and this this episode, in a way, is kind of like a changing of the season. We started out with dry flies, and we know the hatches are dwindling, but if you're a streamer junkie, and Lord knows there are too many of you out there these days, listen up, <laughs> because we've got a tackle hack from our buddy and streamer guru, Brian Wise of Fly Fishing the Ozarks, that we promise will up your game when you finally put the October Caddis away and break out the sex dungeons. And uh, side note, those are actual fly names, so please don't flood me with hate mail. I didn't make that up. I'm getting hacked. It's coming from inside the city. Fight the planet! Today, we've got a tackle hack from an uh, extremely good friend of mine. Most of you probably know him. Brian Wise of Fly Fishing the Ozarks, the streamer OG... Who is, as far as I'm concerned, you've you've popularized streamer fishing in this country. Agree or disagree? T- totally disagree. Are you kidding no. me? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Kelly Kelly Gallup might have tied him first, but you made him cool. Okay. Mm. No, anybody can anybody can put stupid music to fly tying videos, and uh, uh, anybody can do that. So you don't actually like the Skrillex music? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Not at all. No, <laughs> kind of hate it. <laughs> Well, aside from tying them beautifully, you are also a guide in uh, Missouri. Been doing that for a long time. And uh, kind of by default, whether you want to be or not, you are the streamer dude, uh, which means that we need a juicy streamer fishing tip from you for all the uh, meat chuckers out there. And God, there are almost too many these days, aren't there? But I was going to say, I was going to say, if you really are the guy that popularized streamer fishing, I, I kind of want to kick you in the nuts because yeah. 10 years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago, like it was just me and a couple of the dudes doing it. And now it's every bro with a flat brim and a drift boat ahead of me being like, bro, you're ripping meat or what? Right. So if, you, if it was you, Brian, and I, I'm not saying it was Joe is, but if it was you, we're, we may not be friends. Dude, right. they, got, they got an eight weight in one hand and a Brian Wise video going in the other on, on their smartphone. <laughs> on their cell phone, right? <laughs> but, you know, uh, as we've learned uh, from you and many others, uh, streamer fishing is certainly not mindless. There is craft and a lot of technique to it. So what do you got for us, man? What's something that you've learned is critical in the game? Right. So, you know, a lot of times when you when people think streamer fishing and uh, your mind immediately goes to big flies and sinking lines. Right. I mean, right. that's just kind of the way it goes. So several years ago, sinking lines equaled like level leaders. You know, everybody was just, everybody would just say like a, I need a three foot section of 16 pound test. And right. this is where I disagree. This is where okay. I, this is where I kind of disagree. You do. So okay. I do. I totally do. I, <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So I feel like I have to sell you, Miles. Do I have to sell you on this? I I don't know about selling, but you, <laughs> I, I, I'm very curious to hear your your rationale and and explain. Like, again, I'm sure you're probably right. I just want to understand it better because I'm probably <laughs> so, doing it wrong. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, so what we see so many times is we'll have an eat within two or three seconds tops of the fly landing right on the bank. Okay. So, so you can, you can lay a fly on the bank and before you have a clue what's going on, you already see a Brown in the water, shaking its head and it's on, it's there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we need is a fly to turn over all the way. 
We need the fly to straighten out. We need everything. I mean, in a perfect world, man, you can make a hundred foot cast and that last four or five feet turns over beautifully, but it doesn't always do that with a big fly and level line. So when you put like a 15 to 20 inch section of, of 30 to 45 pounds mono, I'm still kind of a mono guy, but, um, mono on the end of that sinking line what you have is just a little bit of extra taper for lack of a better word to help turn over that fly so so you don't run into those 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 times where you have a little bit of pile that ended up happening right at the end of a cast um on a level line and you're watching a brown's head shake and you can't come tight so that's my thing so it's an insurance policy, really, for those those uh, ones. And it's just about basically staying as straight on that fly from the second it hits down. Exactly. Miles, how wrong do you feel right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are we comparing it to like a normal everyday conversation with my wife wrong? Or like <laughs> I've really, really screwed something up in, in, in like all my life choices wrong. I'm I'm gonna say it's more on the normal everyday side. My takeaway on this is that there's very little margin for error when you're talking about like that one fish that you want to get. And when you're throwing big flies, you're really after that one fish. And so what I hear you saying, Brian, is do everything you possibly can to maximize your ability to come tight to that. And that this even it might it might only get you a couple extra inches, but those inches <laughs> might be the difference between being successful and not being successful. Absolutely, and I think that's a valid point. And we can, and and we could all use a few extra inches at all times. Damn straight. Every chance I get, yes. <laughs> we are about out of time here on Bent, which brings us to the end of the line. The segment that leaves you with a better sense of what to cast this weekend based on uh, historical data and generally our worthless instincts. So this week, Miles is going to bring it home with a nod to an OG medal with some bling and also managed to work in cocaine, lake trout, zealots, and something the entire province of Ontario should feel good about. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, bird. Spoons are OG, at least as far as fishing lures are concerned. For thousands of years, anglers have known that if you drag something curved and shiny through water, good chance a fish will bite it. Over time, though, spoons have become pretty refined. You can find innumerable permutations suited to specific situations and species, but certain spoons have become iconic in modern tackle. And while I'm sure we'll cover some of the big ones eventually in this segment, I'm going to start with a slightly lesser-known classic, the Red-Eyed Wiggler. The defining characteristic of this spoon is right there in the name. It has two ruby red eyes. These eyes aren't painted on as would become fashionable later. The original red eye actually had large cut glass beads built into the body of the spoon, though the glass was later swapped for plastic, of course. Red eye wigglers were thought of as vintage even when I was a kid, but they're still manufactured today. I remember being pissed about my family going to an antique store when I was like 10, but then I discovered the vintage fishing tackle section. I stared at those old boxes and rusted hooks until my folks dragged me out of there carrying a slightly tarnished red-eyed wiggler, certain that it held enough ancient mojo to mesmerize every fish that saw it. 
but I was wrong. I never actually caught a single thing on that lure, and it eventually moved from the tackle box to a shelf because even though I couldn't catch fish on it, something about it just stuck with me. It looked cool. But set aside my own inability to use this bait. Turns out the red-eyed wiggler has a pretty impressive pedigree, so there's a reason I was drawn to it. The lure came out in 1928, manufactured by the Hofschneider Corporation of Rochester, New York. The company's founder, Dr. Frederick J. Hofschneider, was a local dentist with a penchant for invention and fishing. In 1926, he patented the Automatic Dental Lubricator, a device that revolutionized dentistry by reducing pain for patients getting their teeth drilled. Remember, this is the 20s. Novocaine wasn't widely used yet. I mean, they just got past giving people cocaine to do dentistry. At that point, dentists just strapped their victims down and dove in with foot pedal drills that got extremely hot as they bore through tooth enamel. Dr. Hofschneider's invention kept drill bits constantly wet, and that minimized heat from friction and pain and, and all the other things that went along with that heat. That didn't make cavity filling painless, but it was a heck of a lot better than the hot knife method they had been doing. And now it seems like that's the invention Hofschneider should be remembered for, the one that helped minimize pain, suffering, and collateral damage in dental patients. But no, it's not. He's remembered for a fishing lure. In fact, after a few years, demand for the lures grew so large that the Hofschneider Corporation stopped manufacturing dental equipment entirely. They went on to produce a whole line of red-eyed lures, but the Wiggler remained their top seller and claimed to fame. That fame was cemented in 1952 when Hubert Hammers caught a 62-pound, 2-ounce lake trout from the Canadian side of Lake Superior on a Wiggler. That fish stood as the hook and line world record laker for nearly 20 years and is still the Ontario provincial record. The Hofschneider Corporation sold manufacturing rights for the entire red-eye line to Scotch Game Calls in 1979 and then Eppinger, makers of the Daredevil Spoon, purchased Scotch Game Calls in 1994. So you can still buy brand new wigglers from Eppinger and there's a whole cadre of northern pike and lake trout fishermen who swear by them saying that the oversized red eyes act as strike triggers, possibly imitating immature smallmouth bass. Me, I'm still not convinced. I always found that these spoons had a tendency to roll instead of wiggle, so they had to be fished at just the right speed. But I think that's a me problem, not so much a wiggler problem. And really, who cares what I think about this lure? It's been in production for nearly a century and caught bigger fish than I've ever seen. It's the signature brainchild of an entrepreneur and inventor who, aside from his dental drills and fishing lures, also came up with new pinball machines and beer taps. The Wiggler is more than just a fishing lure. It represents some of the greatest aspects of early 20th century America. That's more worthy of celebration than any record fish. For those of you keeping track this semester, we've learned that Joe is one of the few men on the planet that actually knows what a pillow sham is, why you don't hire a guide when what you really need is a marriage counselor, and that I'm about to get bombarded with emails about filthy fly names and my inability to fish a simple spoon. Yeah, if you're digging the curriculum, please give us some stars and leave a review wherever it is you consume podcasts. Also, we love hearing from you guys, and we've been having a blast combing through your emails, so please keep those coming to bent at the 
Yes, keep those bar nominations, stories, and sale bin items rolling in. Drink Black Rifle Coffee so you can stay up even later, scrolling for ridiculous things to send us. Until next week, remember, hook sets are free. But you still look stupid constantly swinging on nothing. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.